Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. This is a podcast about classical things, old books, old paintings, old stuff, and mostly old thinkers. And our goal is to educate all of you folks uh, in a way that's not terrible. And that's that's mostly what we're trying to do here. Sometimes we succeed. Sometimes it's terrible. My name is AJ Hannenberg. I am here with my compatriots, uh, Graham Donaldson. Hello. And Thomas Magby. Hi. And we all teach at a classical school in Austin, Texas called... Veritas Academy, and you can check us out online at patreon.com slash classical stuff. You can help support us there if you want to. You can also see our website, classicalstuff.net, and you can check us out on the twits, see at CLSSCAL stuff. And then there's there's one more, right, that I'm forgetting. What's the you last? Email us at the oh, guys. email us at yeah. the guys at classicalstuff.net. Same, same website I mentioned before. And so today... Uh, well, I, I mean, welcome back, yeah. right? I mean, it's Y'all been, thought out, boys? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. It, we finally have power and water, so I can't complain, but... Yeah, there was a little delay there. We kind of got snowed in, and then our school fell, fell to pieces, and so we weren't allowed in for a little while, and that's where all our recording equipment is. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. Poor Thomas got the worst, worst of it. I was going to say, you lost power for like 30 minutes, and you had rolling blackouts, but... 30 minutes is a stretch. I <laughs> it wasn't even that. <laughs> Maybe... Yeah. yeah, I'm so sorry. I think it was like... I was like, hey, I think power just went out. And everyone's like, oh, really? <laughs> and that was the worst. But you got. were without it for like days. Yeah. Days. Like yeah. Anyway, it was great. Yeah, 140 but, hours or something. Uh, that sounds right. By that point, we had gone to stay with friends. That's insane. Yeah. It wasn't great. Um, but uh, yeah, we made it through that. And now we are back in the school. So hi, everyone. Yeah. Our poor school what pipe froze. No, something froze. And then it tripped our sprinkler system. Yeah, the, the sprinkler system burst, the right? sprinkler system yeah. burst and then, and then poured water onto the second floor, which got down, you know, hit, hit the second floor, went down to the first floor, caused water damage on both. But uh, yeah, the repair crews have been incredible. Yeah, but that's, so we had to, yeah, we've, that's why, where we've been, poor classical stuff. Anyway, we're back and we're excited to keep on... Like regurgitating the five same <laughs> topics over and over again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for all you've been listening to the backlog, um, it's about to sound pretty similar. Is yeah. that okay, <laughs> wonderful? Hey, uh, I mean, we're, you should keep listening. And on no, that no, note, that's... we're going to talk, <laughs> talk about Milton. No. Is that actually true? Yes, we are talking about Milton. Are we actually? <laughs> well, so I've just finished teaching the book again for another we year. We are the stereotype. What, <laughs> I love and, it. Um, and something I just, there was something that came up in one of the speeches or one of the conversations between the angel Michael and Adam at the end of the book. And I didn't really bring it up in class because we have other fish to fry in class, but I, I, I was thinking about it. And um, there's it, it marks this change in Adam. So just sort of setting it up, this is after the fall, uh, right before uh, God sent Michael down to kick everybody out of the garden. And, um, and Adam's in a rough spot because he just like caused entire generations to be filled with sin. And he's like, everyone's going to curse my name. All my kids are going to be like, so why am I born? Mm. Um, and the, the angel Michael has given Adam a vision of the future to comfort him. And he showed him a vision, a vision of like from Adam to the flood. And that's not very comforting. Adam's like, Oh gosh, (laughs) it's so bad. Um, and, um, but then after the flood, then we move on to the story of Abraham and then everything's moving up to Christ. And then the angel gives him a vision of the world uh, of the church and Milton being a Protestant says some not very nice things about Catholics, um, which I, I don't really talk about in class. Right. And then, um, and then he sort of has a vision about the end of the age and he basically shows Adam all of history 
And Adam at the end is like, I'm entire, I'm incredibly satisfied. Um, and so he has this big old speech and I want to look at that speech um, because it's such a change from Adam before the fall. And I really, I want to hear your, your guys' opinions on this. Uh, the, the place I want to land, land and end up in is as people who have faith, as Christians who believe that um, relationship with Christ and uh, contemplation of the divine and a life of the gospel is happiness, that is to tell us the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then what place is there for education? What place is there for science, for understanding, for uh, pro- progress in history and these kinds of things? Because this is this is sort of a tension that I think exists in the Christian faith that I don't really know how to square. But anyway, um, that's kind of the, the question that I want to get to, but I feel like I need, sort of need to set the stage with Milton first. Okay. So we have this these sort of two versions of Adam and I don't know if it's a if we if it's a maturation of Adam as it goes on, but it's definitely a change. So, and it's um, sort of bookended, or it's it's between these two conversations that Adam has with divine beings. So, the first conversation Adam has this big old conversation with the angel Raphael, uh, who's been sent by God on a mission, and his mission is to warn Adam that Satan is in the garden. Okay. So Raphael's warning Adam, "Hey, man, there's like a snake." prowling around your garden. You got to you got to like care, be careful about this. And then the second is God has sent Michael to talk to Adam to kick him out of the garden and to provide him comfort and direction because Adam is in a like he's bummed out. Um and in the f- uh in the first conversation with Raphael and sort of I need to do a little hat tip to Josh Gibbs who um uh, has talked about this. I don't know if he talked about this in any of his books, but he just talked about it on some lectures and stuff. About this section of Paradise Lost? Just about the that um, bringing up these two conversations between these two angels okay. um, showcases kind of a, Adam's different reaction mm-hmm. to... Well, he basically... He, he talks about it by saying, like, Michael and Raphael present these two different kinds of being a teacher, mm-hmm. and so he takes it in that direction. But when Raphael talks to Michael... Michael doesn't hear the war- sorry when Raphael Adam. talks to Adam yeah. Adam doesn't hear the warning of the snake because Adam is filled with questions and curiosity about the heavens what stars are made of why they move in a predictable way what angels are made of do angels eat um, do angels get married like I'm married to Eve um, he has he's filled with all of these sorts of questions and this is not out of character for Adam uh, in in the beginning of Paradise Lost before the fall the character of Adam really is kind of presented as that medieval or that classical understanding of man that is wanting to understand. Uh, um, the best example that I could think of is, uh, you guys may need to Google this. If you're at home, uh, you may need to look at it. It's called the Flammarion engraving. Um, now, the Flammarion engraving is not medieval, although it's made to look medieval. Um, it was in a book that was in the, like the 19th century, I think, but the author, who, 18, 1888. Yeah, yeah. But the author who has it in his book, he, he was convinced that it came from like the 16th century Germany. Oh. Nobody really knows. So it could be a modern, it could be a, a 19th century thing, but the picture of it mm. is kind of what is the, the example that I sort of think of Adam. And for those of you who are listening to a podcast, it is a, an engraving 
of a man who's wearing a robe and he has he's on his hands and knees and he's crawled to the edge of the sky, sort of this dome of the sky with all the night stars. And he's gotten his hands and knees and he's sort of broken through the night sky and he's peering at the sort of the 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 wheels upon wheels in the background of the heavens. So he's sort of mm-hmm. like broken through space. He's broken through the night sky and he's looking at I don't know, like almost like the gears of creation, or he's looking. Well, it at looks the, like the spheres. Yeah, he's right. looking at the spheres. Yeah, then, right. then that's what it is. So he's he's looking at the spheres and he's trying to understand how the heavens work and the heavenly spheres. And so yeah, it's not um, quite the spheres because if we're talking strictly medieval, the stars are at the furthest edge. Yes. So this and is so a, it's a little bit goofy. Yeah, and that that's probably uh, this is more typified of the 19th century understanding of like the man's search for you know physics and that kind of thing. Right. But the idea is still the same, that human beings are, and and this is part of Paradise Lost, are created with this innate sense of wanting to know and wanting to sort of have your experience, uh, well, yeah, wanting to know how the heavens work, staring up at the stars and wondering how these things work. And the Flammarion engraving, I always hold it up in my mind as kind of like the picture example of that vision of mankind. And this is what Adam is like. When Adam is first created in Paradise Lost, the very first thing he sees in the sky is the sun, and he looks at it for a little bit and sees that the sun is moving, and he's and that sort of has begun his fascination with the heavens, mm. and then as he goes on, he tests his own body, and he runs and he leaps, and in, on his first day, he sort of reasons and logics his way through who he is. And he comes to the conclusion, I must have been made by someone who loves me, hmm. which is kind of a really, already a really fascinating thought. Right. He says, because I exist in a place that is so good and it was made for me and I'm happy here and I didn't cause myself, whoever caused me must be good, hmm. is what Adam concludes. So he's got this like, would that be inductive or deductive there, Logic Berg? Sounds like deductive, but yeah, because he's not really extrapolating from a pattern. To a general rule, mm-hmm. it's it's premise to conclusion. Yeah, um, and so you can sort of see that he's he comes sort of built with the tools of of uh, inquiry, and he comes built with the heart of wanting to know. Right, all off the bat, this mm-hmm. is not something that happens after the fall, or this is not a cause of sin. This is how human beings are made. And then one, um, and as he names all the animals, he then comes to the conclusion, hey, I don't have a companion like, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Dog have each other and Mr. and Mrs. Duck have each other and I don't have anybody. Mm-hmm. And there's this really, really delightful scene where he and God engage in this like rhetorical back and forth where Satan, or Satan, sorry, uh, where Adam uh, um, says to God, hey, I noticed that all the animals have a partner mm-hmm. and I was wondering if I could have a partner. And God's like, but... You have me. <laughs> and I was like, good point. But God, you're not a person. Right, yeah. And you're God. And you right. got that whole like Trinity thing going on inside of you. And I don't have that. You, uh, no, he says, yeah. So, uh, and God's like, well, I'm alone. He's like, no, you got the Trinity going on. So he, they have this little back and forth where, and at the end, God's like, ah, I was just seeing if you, I just wanted you to, to know, I just wanted you to like, basically appreciate your gift when you got exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You need to see your need before I give you something you don't need. Right. Exactly. You need. Although I'm surprised that God wasn't like, look, man, just wait till you invent the microscope. There's plenty of asexual reproduction yeah, yeah. happening. <laughs> Mr. Um, amoeba doesn't need a Mrs. Amoeba yeah, if you catch yeah. my drift. Um, but anyway, so uh, Adam sort of reasons by observation oh. that 
he would be happier with a thing that doesn't exist, with the creature that currently doesn't exist, huh. Eve. And so, like, Adam comes pre-built with all of these tools of inquiry and the desire and curiosity to know. And the reason I'm laboring this is because this isn't something that comes after the fall mm. or is given to mankind as, like, a coping mechanism for living outside the garden. No, no, no. As far as Milton is concerned, this is a core part of the pre-fallen person, is that they want to know things and have this innate curiosity. Okay, cool. That's Adam before the fall. Okay. But when Adam talks to Raphael and Raphael's giving him a warning, listen, like there's a devil in your garden. You got to be careful. Adam's like, awesome. Totally. I heard you the first time. So stars, how do they work exactly? (laughs) And he spent, there's like four books in Paradise Lost of just Adam's questions to Raphael Hmm. where he's like, tell me about how the heavens were made. Um, tell me how, why, the, why did God make things move in a, in order? Is Raphael answering these questions? He is. And then eventually Raphael gets to a point where he's like, I'm not answering any more of your questions. Like you're like, this is, this is, you know, we're, we're kind of wasting time. And, uh, Raphael then asks Adam a question. He's like, Hey, how would you tell me your first memory? And Adam's like, Oh, cool. And that is like a very good trick that a teacher can mm-hmm. do. If a student keeps asking you annoying questions is to say like, Hey, tell me a story. No. Don't do that. Or at least to pose a question or back. Or pose a question right? back, yeah. yeah. But anyway, so you get this sense that Adam, even though he is in, uh, has an inquisitive mind, there's still like, it's not enough for him to sense the danger or to take the danger seriously. Right. That could That's maybe another topic for another day. But my whole point in this is seeing that Adam sort of comes stamped with this innate desire to know. Mm. He is the man on his hands and knees wanting to poke his head through the heavens to see how things work. There's nothing wrong about this. Okay. But at the end, uh, and this is the passage I want to read, is Adam... uh, So uh, after the fall, Adam has a serious conversation with Eve where they just contemplate, like, killing themselves. Um, They're like, what... What's the point? What's the point? Right. All of our ki- children are going to hate us. And the only reason they don't is because God promised, uh, they remember that when God cursed them and the snake, that part of the snake's curse was that the seed of Adam and Eve will one day crush the snake's head. And they're like, we should probably wait around for that. We let, let's, let's Yeah, because down with that snake, am yeah, I right? Let's get him exactly. back. <laughs> so um, they say, okay, well, God has said that he's got a plan. And so it would be even worse if we killed ourselves. Let's right. not do that. Right. But regardless... Eve is like shattered and, and is like asleep from like all of book 10 mm. and or book 11. Um, and Adam laments and has this big old long speech where he's like, all the future generations are going to hate me and they're going to get kicked out of the garden. And it, they're just like, they're in a really depressed place. So much so that God says to Michael, okay, when you kick him out of the garden, try to like cheer him up a oh, little wow. bit. Yeah. And the way that Michael does this is to give them a vision of the rest of history. Okay. He basically gives them the vision of the the understanding of the, of the of history the way the Bible presents it. That there was a creation, there was the fall, God chose a group of people to pass on his law to, from that group of people was going to come um he was going to uh, uh be born into and his son, that son was going to die to save all of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was this age where some would believe and some wouldn't. And then there would be some sort of final culmination in history. And book 11 and 12 play show this story. And um, 
Adam at one point, when he when Adam hears about Christ dying on the cross, he says, I don't know if I should be sad about the sin or be rejoicing that this happens, mm-hmm. which is always a really interesting question to ask the 10th graders. Right. But when this whole thing is done, Adam says this. When the whole vision? Is the whole vision is done. On. And so now it's like, there's the end of history. Um, and he, uh, Adam, Adam comforted says this. Adam last replied, How soon hath thy prediction, seer blessed, measured this transient world, the race of time till time stand fixed? Beyond is all abyss, eternity, whose end no eye can reach. Greatly instructed, I shall hence depart, greatly in peace of thought, and have my fill of knowledge, what this vessel can contain, beyond which was my folly to aspire. Henceforth, I learn that to obey is best, and love with fear the only God, to walk as in his presence, ever to observe his providence, and on him soul depend, merciful over all his works, with good still overcoming evil, and by small accomplishing great things, by things deemed weak subverting worldly strong, and worldly wise by simply meek. That suffering for truth's sake is fortitude to highest victory, and to the faithful, death, the gate of life. Taught this by his example, whom I now acknowledge my Redeemer ever blessed. So Adam basically has a speech where he's like, I don't need to know anything else. He got the thing he was looking for. I got the thing. And he says, and now I know that what is fulfilling is obedience and essentially being small and persevering to the end, right. and by being small, having God accomplish big things through the small. Sure. And by a small accomplishing great things, by things deemed weak, subverting worldly strong. So by being obedient to God um, and not striving after what he, you know, these things that he said were folly, um, suffering for truth's sake, and then waiting, uh, and then where death ends up being the gate of life. So this is what Adam says at the end, which is very different in tenor to what Adam was like earlier, where he wants to know everything. And then um, Michael ends uh, this section uh, with a passage that every 10th grader in my class memorizes. And so Adam kind of puts a cherry on top of Adam's vision. Sorry, Michael puts a cherry on top of Adam's vision of what now mankind, in light of this knowledge, should do. And uh, Michael says, This having learned, thou hast attained the sum of wisdom. Hope no higher, though all the stars thou knowest by name, and all the ethereal powers, all secrets of the deep, all nature's works, or works of God in heaven, air, earth, or sea, and all the riches of this world enjoyest, and all the rule one empire. Only add deeds to thy knowledge answerable, add faith, add virtue, patience, temperance, add love, by name to come called charity the soul of all the rest. Then wilt thou not be loath to leave this paradise, but shall contain a paradise within thee, happier far. Graham did that from memory no. for those who aren't watching um, online. Wait, so one more time? <laughs> <laughs> this having learned, no. So um, Michael kind of says, yes, if you take that mindset that obedience is best, and now you know that you even if, He's like, now that you've learned that lesson, you don't need empires. You don't need, you don't need to know all the stars by name. You don't need to know, um, 
all the ethereal powers, all secrets of the deep. You don't need to know that stuff. Even if you had it, it's not going to add anything to it. And he says, with that knowledge, now add virtuous deeds, Be, uh, faith, virtue, temperance, love, charity. Um, and if you do that, so if you're the kind of person that has that obedience and has that life of virtuous deeds, then the Garden of Eden will be inside of you and you're not going to be sad to leave the garden. The garden is going to be inside of you. You will carry paradise within you, which is a big parallel to Satan who spends a big part of book four talking about how he's carrying hell within him. Right. So you you almost have this like this setup of, of there's two kinds of way to exist in the world. The Satan way where you carry hell within you or the Adam, the post knowledge Adam way where you carry paradise within you by being obedient and living a life of virtue. And so I don't really know how to square these two um, sort of uh, almost like depictions of man is because on the one hand you have striving man who wants to learn about the heavens and the universe and Milton's not saying that that's bad. Mm-hmm. Like that is how man was made. Right. And almost, you know, classical education hangs on the fact that we as human beings want, want to, to know things. Right. But on the other hand, and this is not an uncommon question from students. In fact, it was one of the questions we got in one of our AMAs that you can listen to if you become a Patreon subscriber at <laughs> Patreon backslash classical stuff. Patreon.com slash classical stuff. Yeah. Um, classical stuff yeah. is, okay, if you have the gospel, if you have the Bible, why do you need anything else? Why do you need other books? Why do you need other pursuits? If this is not satisfying, then, then you know, if it, if you know, since it's supposed to be satisfying for the Christian man, then why pursue other things? And I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, that's my discomfort with that sentiment from Michael at the end. Uh, so when Adam's given that vision, he responds joyfully. He's excited, mm-hmm. happy to see it. I could also see someone despairing at that point because it means. Adam and Eve will die before any of those things happen. They don't get to, yes, they've seen what will happen, mm-hmm. but then their lives almost mean nothing at this point. Mm-hmm. They need to have children so that this future point can be attained. Mm-hmm. But like what else matters from their life? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, there is, um, like Adam and Eve cry at the end, like when they leave when the they garden, leave, they're sure. sad. Sure. Um, but they're not so despairing that there's nothing, you know, that, that there's there's nothing to look forward to. There is still a plan going on. Yes, but um, I've had um, mm-hmm. I, I've had stu- students describe themselves as uh, Christian uh, nihilists, by which they mean that uh, it, it, it's essentially a form of stoicism. I would say where it's you know essentially nothing matters. Most things in life don't matter, except the story that God is uh, uh, building out, wherein. Mm-hmm all things are eventually restored to him at the end of time. Right. Um, so they can, they don't have to be freaking out after bad test grades because in the grand scheme of history, it doesn't matter. I want you to push back on that. I don't well, like, I don't, I don't like this viewpoint. Neither do forward. I, but what don't we like about it? Me personally, it's like a laziness. So you're, I, I guess the, the part I want to get further with is that Adam is still seeing the importance of his small acts mm-hmm. and, I guess I want to hear more about that. He doesn't get, he doesn't have a hopeless reaction or he doesn't have a reaction that says, therefore, you know, all that matters is me having kids, right? As is because he needs to get to that point in history. It's everything I'm doing now matters because it prepares this final moment in history. I don't even know if it's that. 
I don't even know if it's like I get to be a, a, a little stepping stone or a little link on the chain of history. Right. Um, I wonder. So when I was when I was thinking about this, how I wrote it down, and I was sort of doing it kind of tongue in cheek, but maybe maybe there's something to it. It's like there is an inherent tension in the faith between what you would maybe call like mysticism. Yeah. So like those. Uh, that wing of Christianity that says, leave the world behind, all you need is contemplation, uh, right. and um, you need nothing but prayer and divine contemplation, right. and that is um, sort of what we were made for, and that is a satisfying thing. Right. And we as and as Protestants, we just don't really have that right. rich a tradition of that. I've been rereading, um, for those listeners, a, a book recommendation. I've been uh, rereading uh, Lauris. Hmm? Did you read Lauris? No. You Hanberg, did, did you read Lauris? Yeah, you did. Um, you didn't like it, did you, Hamburg? You uh, both did. I pretty much loved it. Oh, really? I thought you like. Why would I not like Loris? It's delightful. I thought you read it and stopped reading it because you thought. No, maybe, it was great. Maybe I'm thinking of someone different. Did you I read enjoyed it? it? You didn't read it. I did not read it. I thought because um, it was the all three English teachers got a copy, right? Wasn't. I don't, well, oh, I don't, I don't know mine. if Catherine was the one who didn't like it. Oh, I think maybe she Catherine did. didn't I like know. it. Yeah, but know. anyway, it, it tells a story of of a, a medieval Russian Orthodox um, man who's a healer. But it's basically the story of him slowly becoming... Arseny, right? Yeah, Ar- Arseny. Uh, uh, Arseny, Arseny. Um, slowly becoming a mystic. Uh, and then by the end of the book, he's like one of those holy fools that you would see in a Dostoevsky novel, someone who just lives in the forest right. and, and spouts wisdom. But it's a story of like how this person become, come, becomes like that. Right. And so I've been th- reading that and thinking about um, um, him not really caring about history and not really caring about, I don't know, progress or science or, or knowledge right. and just wanting to be someone who contemplates and spends time with God versus this vision that we have of the pre-fall Adam, of someone who wants to know how the world works and is curious and uses logic and reason to deduce things and and can um, uh, and clearly is made this way. Um, and that his rationality is not because of the fall, but is part of his pre-made wiring. Yeah. And I'm just wondering how we how we kind of like hold those two things together. Uh, I got some ideas. Okay, let's hear it. And then I, I got a question for Beezers. So cool. first, I think that uh, this passage, I, I looked it up. I went and grabbed my copy mm-hmm. and, and did a little reading. Your copy is way nicer than mine, brother. It does. It has pictures, which is important. <laughs> Um, it actually has woodcuts by what's his name the the Italian Gustav Dore Dore yeah yeah it's it's beautiful yeah. go check out Dore's woodcuts he does all kinds of good stuff he did one for the Bible some for Dante anyway for Dante yeah so there's there's one section in here that I think can shed some extra light here uh, let's see he says after seeing this vision Sorry. of the future from Michael this is Milton says this is this is Milton and it's it's or Adam talking Adam is the character yeah okay so. And you actually read this bit. He said, How soon hath thy prediction, seer blessed, measured this transient world, the race of time, till time stand fixed? Like, you've, you've shown me it all. Beyond its all abyss, eternity, whose no eye can reach. Greatly instructed, I shall hence depart. Greatly in peace of thought, and have my fill of knowledge what this vessel can contain, beyond which was my folly to aspire. And so I think I think one thing that helps to to add a little bit of color to this post vision Adam and post fall Adam is that he he has seen basically the fill of human knowledge. He knows all of history future. He knows what's coming. He knows the progress we make. 
He knows that we invent iPads. Like he has all this stuff and he knows exactly where everything is headed. And so he, he has sort of been filled with that knowledge of the temporal and that knowledge that he, the, the bit where he says beyond which was, was my folly to aspire. I am, it is my impression that what he is referring there to is not the sciences. He is referring to the knowledge of good and evil, right? It was that thing that was promised to him by the snake. You can be heavenly and go beyond human knowledge. He is, he has just received a vision of pretty much all human knowledge. He knows exactly where we're headed. And that little bit, greatly instructed, I shall hence depart, I think there are a couple pieces to that instruction. First is that he has seen what is coming in human history. Like, after being shown the entirety of human history, that's a pretty good instruction on science. And the second piece of instruction is this humility. He says, in in light of this, it is good to obey, right? Rather than just in darkness, it is good to obey. And I think that there is the difference. His questions have, in a sense, been answered multiform. One is that you should not aspire to heavenly knowledge. And two is that, like, I've given you this human knowledge. And so if we're to give sort of an analogous reading to, to what we are doing, we can think of it as the split between, and this goes, this is a throwback to a whaled episode, intellectus versus ratio. The two, the two divisions of reason in the human mind. One is the work of, of sort of getting to knowledge via reason. Adam has just skipped all that, right? right. He's been handed the, essentially the keys to the human universe. Uh, he is now stuck in intellectus, where all his only job is to ponder the truths that he knows. And I think, I think there is perhaps some in danger in ratio. There are some knowledges that we are we are not given and which it is folly and dangerous to pursue. For example, I am curious about this little folio referenced in Faust, which is a catalog of the devil devil captains, like demons, what they look like, the words that bring them about, what they do, how to talk to them, how to control demons. I don't think I should touch that manuscript. I think I should stay as far away from it as I possibly can. Well, that's the one that's in that little locked cupboard in your library, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that like I, I, and this is a personal belief, you guys might call me superstitious, but this is the kind of thing where people may treat it academically, but it, it feels like playing with, with fire. Like I'm, to treat it academically is to not give it the reverence it perhaps deserves. Sure. That to me is knowledge I will never seek. Um, and so I think there are pieces of knowledge we may seek. And then there are, there is a point where we are to ponder, where, where we are to rest in intellectus on certain things that we know. And I think there has to be that combination. As far as I can tell, Adam's ratio has been filled. Mm-hmm. But I mean, so if we try to apply that to ourselves, like I feel like every person is going to say, oh, I, I've perfectly thread the needle between knowing how much ratio is healthy and how much ratio is unhealthy. And, you know, like I feel like each, each individual person will be able, is arrogant enough. I know I am to think, oh, well, I know exactly which roads are good to walk down, which roads aren't aren't good to walk down. Um, and so I can kind of like tread that path, you know, wisely. When I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like, when do we know that, a, uh, that um, for, so for, for Adam, it was like how the heavens work. That seems to be the symbol of the example of um, things that were folly. Like Raphael even tells him, he's like, you don't need to know that. Like, that's not, it doesn't matter. Hmm. 
it's either doesn't matter or you're not supposed. I don't think he says you're not supposed to know it. He just sort of says like, you don't need to know it. He, well, he says like, you have this thing, you know, that to be obedient is best. Mm-hmm. Anything on top of that is cherries. I don't think he says it's worthless. Well, this is Michael at the end. Yeah, yeah. this is Michael. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's saying it's worthless. He's saying add anything on top of that. And it's, it's not much of an addition. Well, it's cause you, you have, know, it's, you've attained the sum of wisdom so you, Which is not the sum of knowledge. Yeah. And he says, uh, hope no higher, though all the stars don't know us by name. So it's not like you're that's not going to learn anything practical right. or you're right. not going to learn anything that's going to change the way you fill live. the soul. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I think, I think pursuing knowledge from that standpoint, I have, uh, you are, you are standing on the firm footing of obedience and assurance of an eternal future. That changes the way that I approach knowledge. Mm-hmm. For me, there is no desperation in it. Uh, if I figure out how, yeah. you know, a fission battery works and can power all the little doodads everybody walks around with every day, great. If not, also great. We're all going to fall into the sun anyway eventually. So it, it gives me sort of a, and, and this is why I wanted to come back to what Thomas was saying about our students. I'm curious about that. Like sentiment, that sentiment where, where things don't matter. Cause I think I might land on the other, other side Thomas does which is why I'm curious. But I think standing on that firm fitting of an eternal viewpoint right. changes how we approach knowledge, I think, in a healthy way. Yes. I think this also, I, I was just trying to look this up. You'll sometimes see curiosity listed as a sin, I think, for this reason of um, there are only certain things that need to be known. And then there are others that people can pursue as a result of that. I think this is, AJ, this is what you're saying. There's a firm foundation you have. You're not hoping for anything beyond you know, how history ends up going. But that doesn't mean that um, there's not more to study in a, a specific field, a specific type of work, right? So you can do that from not from a place of anxiety, but from a place of all of this is good. I'm going to explore God's creation. It goes from a place of ang- anxiety and trust in like the self and human progress to yes. a place of worship. Yes. When I figure right. out the fusion yeah. battery, I can say like, oh, dang, God yeah. created a really cool thing rather than look at the great thing I have done. Yeah. And aspiring towards divinity myself. It, it comes. Does it, the motivation of the person matter? Like if someone is studying the material world in order to exploit it for comfort and profit versus. Yeah. So. I guess. At, at what level do you mean? This is something that gets posited all the time in, in Christian schools talking about their science curriculum or their math curriculum. It's like when we do this, students will be able to love God more because they will see his world and how he made it. And, um, I just wonder if that's like, no, this is not a criticism of, of our science department. I mean, I'm just saying like, I wonder if that's a smoke show are, are if that's just a smoke show for, we're going to have science the way that it's taught everywhere else, which is not classical science. It's science and technology. Let's figure, um, with an emphasis on technology of figuring out how we can be masters over the material world. And Sorry, event- I think I used the wrong term. Smoke show is a hot girl. Oh, I yes. Think. A <laughs> smoke, smoke screen. A smoke screen. <laughs> yeah. It's I not mean, a smoke show. That vision of that science. Vision, science. Total smoke total show. Smoke show. <laughs> I mean, that vision of science is a smoke show because yeah. uh, I was like, that's the kind of life I want. Um, do, do, do you get what I'm well, saying? Can you, when you say classical, as opposed to classical science, what do you mean oh, by well, that? Well, okay. The, um, so I take this argument... So David Hicks wrote an article um, called, I can't remember what it's called. It's got some funny name like, can classical education actually happen or something like that? And his answer is no. And his answer is not really. Right. Um, uh, it was in an issue of Forma Magazine, I think in 2017. 
but he in it he talks about sort of the the these four pillars of the classical kind of worldview that don't exist anymore and one of them had to do with an understanding of science and for him science in the classical sense is probably more better translated for us modern people today as maybe ecology where the classical understanding of science was the study of nature and the world and how it works so that man can exist in it harmoniously and flourish in nature. Um, that's sort of the classical understanding of, of science. And then he posits that the modern understanding of science is control the, the, the understanding of the material world in order to control it right. and exploit it for comfort and profit, which is pretty cynical, but I mean, he's not far off. Well, and even that I think is changing. You think so? I mean, I would say sentiment among especially the younger generations is that science is not meant for the exploitation of nature, but for like we are trying to get to the point where it is sustainable. I don't think so. I think it's so. And there's the Green New Deal. There's but even even that is is the exploit. Even that is still the manipulation of the material world for comfort and profit. Like it's even by by slapping sort of sustainability on it huh. is like what if it's different people who profit. I guess is that your, no. It, oh. It's more like. Um, uh, if you want to have a stronger sense of, uh, of the understanding of how maybe of how the classical world mind understood science, you would be, cl- you would find it more closely reading like angry Wendell Berry <laughs> than you would reading, um, like a sustainability minded tech bro, even if they're talking solar panels and, 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 and batteries, like even still with batteries, you're still having to strip mine the earth for cobalt and rare earths. And, you know, I, I, so. Um, but my point is that we're moving back in that direction. It, I, I, I rarely hear the sentiment like men becoming master of nature anymore. It, it is us trying to come into confirmation with our ecosystem. No, we still think that there's a technological save for for example, global warming. We think there's a technology fix that will that will solve that, whether it's like seeding clouds or, or carbon capture. Or right. carbon capture. We think there's some sort of technological fix then then actually reducing reducing energy usage or um, uh, production manufacturing. Uh, um, farming practices. Oh, like oh, farming yeah. practices are the biggest one. Yeah. Is um, um, instead of factory farming, having it, many small farms. Yeah. And even, even the way that fields are plowed. Like if you look at the, uh, this is taking us a little further field, but if you look at sort of the, um, the carbon emissions globally, mm-hmm. um, the amount of emissions that are, the amount of carbon that's emitted that's coming from pollution is a significant number, but it absolutely pales in comparison with this season seasonality carbon emission that comes with everybody uh, at once plowing their fields. Hmm. So when farmers are plowing their fields, the amount of, of, of sequestered carbon in the in the organic matter in the ground oh. gets released into the atmosphere, um, and so um, the sort of the modern farming practices that we have that we think are sort of timeless from big machines 200 years ago are actually um, uh, any any carbon that's sequestered in in soil has been depl- is being sort of put, put back, back into, into the, the atmosphere right. anyway but my point being that like um, uh, 
nine out of 10 people on the street, if you ask them what's going to get us out of this mess is scientists will figure it out. And what they mean is we will come up with some sort of technological solution. Um, and that technological solution is um, some kind of um, manipulation of the of the of creation for something that we think will make it better, and then there's all sorts of unintended consequences. Um, okay, but sure. Anyway. But what what is the overall point? How does this relate back to your? Is this what's so, forbidden knowledge question? So my overall point is. Um, um, is that second Adam, is that sentiment that Adam after the fall talking to Michael brings, is that a more mature Adam? Is that the sentiment that we should have, which is, I don't need to know anything more. All I need to do is be good and obedient. Um, yes. Are we are we losing are we losing something of the of the the uh, Flammarian engraving Adam? Yes. Uh, Again, and is that a good true? thing? Yeah, uh, this, uh, just because we're referencing all of our old episodes, we did an episode on usury forever ago. And, you know, us- any form of interest used to be bad, right? Clear cut. Mm-hmm. Well, once we allowed debt to proliferate, once there was more and more debt, there was more and more growth, which has given us wealth, which mm-hmm. has made um, this country wealthy and, and many countries wealthy. Well, that doesn't mean usury isn't still bad, right? There's a good thing to get from a bad thing, and debt might be one of those things. So could both be true that we've, we lose something if you don't have that anxiety, maybe that might be the wrong word, but that, that need for information that Adam one has, we might lose something by moving to Adam two. It's still better to be Adam two than Adam one. Mm -hmm. Can't those both be true? I feel like curiosity, this impulse of Adam is one of those human impulses that can be wielded for ill or good, like sexuality, right? And like, I eventually came down to the question of art. Like, is art a thing okay for Christians to do? It is a human expression. It is like, I could spend my time better evangelizing on the street, right? So why do art? And it seems to be one of those things that is inherently built into every human that we do not universally see as ill. Like very rarely do you see someone say like, curiosity is just a bad thing. I think it's how you wield that curiosity that can make it good or ill. If you use that curiosity to study divinity, that is a great use of it. If you use it to study like weaponry for war, well, maybe that's a different negative use of it. I think there are certain uses that will bring us into a place of praise and greater appreciation of the divine. And there's a a way that we can use it to say master nature in an unhealthy way. But I, I don't think the impulse, the impulse to understand is a negative. That seems to be built into the human person in a way that isn't necessarily bad. Like I don't spend my time judging people who are curious Mm -hmm. within certain, again, within certain bounds. Right. And that's to say, again, when curiosity is called a sin, it could be either a problem with the object of the curiosity or the methods of the curiosity. If I become so curious that like, you know, I stop talking to my wife and my kid, like that's, that's an inordinate curiosity, but yeah, within bounds, the desire to learn more, is a good thing. Or if right. I'm curious about the human body and my method is to take apart live humans. Yeah. Right? You, you, don't, you go murder people and then like vivisect. Yeah. Yeah. So there'd be problems with that. Um, yeah. Now, AJ, I had a question for you. You, you were talking about how, um, that once Adam has the full of history, once he has the whole story, then he can say, ah, now I've got it. And now I see, pardon me, that obeying is best. Do you think there's something wrong 
if he hasn't had that full of history, but he still comes to the conclusion, it's good. Um, it, it is right to be a good boy and to obey God, but he doesn't have the 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 history. He doesn't have the the the, the vision that that Adam has. This is what I believe childlike faith is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that is like, it's good to come as a child. That doesn't mean it's good to come as someone who like children are kind of petty and terrible to each other. And I, so what, what does Jesus mean when he says it is good to come with a childlike faith? I mm-hmm. think this is it. There are certain places where we won't fully understand the whole story, right? Where mm-hmm. I don't understand why God is asking me to do a thing. It doesn't really make sense to me. The imagery, like for example, C.S. Lewis talks about how the imagery of heaven seems to repulse him. Why do I want to walk on big golden streets? Can you imagine the glare? Ugh, it's exhausting, mm-hmm. right? Why do I want that? And so there are there are points where we will not understand why we are asked to do a thing. And I see that in my students, right? They think they can handle certain sins that they don't see what will happen 30 years down the line, like I do, someone who has lived in that sin for 30 years, mm-hmm. right? And sees how damaging it is. So that is, that is living in obedience without the full story. But that doesn't mean that children also aren't curious, mm-hmm. right? Children get to come and they obey, but they also, if I know children, they ask, why? Why am I doing I will still do the dishes, but why do I have to do the dishes? Why can't we just eat off of dirty plates? It's food on there anyway. It's just dried food, right? Why can't I do that? And the parent says, well, because things grow in there. That's you don't like- know to understand, you know, microbes yet, but that's that'll make you sick. And the kid goes, oh, right. So that sounds like an questions. argument that you've had before. Nope. Okay, good. Um, just one little aside before we move on. So the, uh, if people are like, did Graham just say that plowing fields is, is destroying the world? Um, uh, just to sort of finish <laughs> that thought a little with a little more nuance than maybe I presented it. Um, the, the depletion of grasslands uh, globally is on a really fascinating topic and um, – so like the Dust Bowl of the 30s, we, you know, in the United States um, and all the way up through Canada, you know, the, the, the grasslands of, of North America had like, you know, two feet of rich topsoil from mm. grasslands being grazed and not touched. And then that topsoil had been, and there was rich fertile land that was farmed for 150 years without need of any, without any sort of replenishment. And then that topsoil is now gone. Um and that lack of so that those uncovered farmlands, um, the actual grasses of the prairies insulate vast sections of the world. And when that grass is gone, um, those those areas of the world have take on more desert-like climates. They get very hot during the day and very cold at night. And that um, depletion of of grasslands um, is. Um, a major contributor to global temperature, as well as uh, carbon sequestration is no longer happening. Um, this is why everybody should be really interested in preserving prairie grasses, but no one does because they're not as sexy as like giant redwood trees. Um, grasslands are kind of boring. Sure. Uh, but anyway, right. um, just to I put happen a f- to find grassland very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so just to put a little finer point on oh. that, so you're not thinking like, oh my. <laughs> Graham thinks like plowing is destroying the world. No, it has to do with sort of the um, uh, a method of farming that that sort of took off after the Industrial Revolution right. that didn't bring any nutrients back to the soil. Anyway, um, so and then I guess sort of the last sort of thought of this is that different eras of Christian history have kind of landed on 
one side or the other of this natural tension that I think is in the faith. And I don't think it's a tension that is meant to be resolved. I think it's a tension that is meant to keep things in balance. Um, so much so that like, um, yeah, like the, the, the kinds of relationships that a young Christian man has with knowledge and science and the world and understanding and his relationship with God, I think has to look differently than an older man who is nearing death and his relationship with science and progress and technology and God. But there's also been times in Christian history where the, the sort of the cultural view of that has, has sort of leaned more heavily on one way on that sort of, um, yeah, one way than, than the other. Um, and we see that in how the church has talked about what history is. And I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, that we as modern people live in a linear view of history. And most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, live with some sort of linear view of history that, ha- that takes a, a slope upwards, a, prog- a progressive view of history. That as time moves forward, things are getting better. And this is not without merit. You look back at, you know, a hundred years ago, and you're like, things are a lot better than they we were. We are no longer dumping poop buckets into the street. That's right. We have uh, internal... Pl- well, we most pl- of us. We I have plumbing. Say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have... We only do it for fun now. Is that, yeah, good. Yeah, good. <laughs> There's a vaccine for the for the coronavirus that came about in a year. Right. It's crazy. It's crazy. And and, and the... Um, despite uh, the, the, the scary, like, Facebook propaganda or whatever, um, the... Uh, uh, like, what actually is happening with a virus or with a vaccine and also this new vaccine is just mind blowing. Like there is progress being made in the world. Um, and so as modern people, our view of, of, of history tends to be linear, um, and progressive. Um, and this sort of kind of fits that sort of earlier Adam model Mm -hmm. or, or that side of, of the, the faith that has that, that, native inborn human curiosity of wanting to know, of wanting to improve. God did, after all, put Adam and Eve in a wilderness and said, turn it into a garden. There is inherently built into the Christian understanding of the world progress, making things better. Um, uh, And in the church, that is um, unwinding the, the ravages of sin in the hearts of individuals and in communities. This right. is the job of the church. So there is a, there is a progressive um, side of the Christian faith. But then there's also this sort of, um, not stagnant, that sounds bad, but there is also a, a motionless contemplative right. side of the Christian faith that also says, and this is maybe what the students are getting at, right. that it is finished, mm-hmm. things are done, the story has already been written. The battle has been won. Um, no amount of your piety or no amount of your um, efforts are going to make God any more godly or is going to make his kingdom any more or less triumphant. Um, and there is um, all the—I'm I'm no mystic, but there's always been— those, those voices in the Christian faith that say paring down your life to just the contemplation of God uh, and prayer is, is sort of this, this pure and rewarding battle. Hmm. Um, and that always sounds so crazy. Um, 
And so you ha- and and that also has its own view of history. And uh, for those of you who um, I, I do recommend the book Lauris to, to as, a, as an example of an honest attempt at portraying that view of history. Uh, some of the characters, um, some of the more sort of holy characters, end up having visions of history that transcend sort of linear. There's characters that um, one character when he is near death looks up and he is seeing an event that takes place in uh, like 1990s, I think, Belgrade or something, right? Like there's there's just sort of these different stories. And when one character falls in love, there's another story of another character in the 1970s who falls in love. So there's this, there's this, um, uh, this sense that the things, the experiences of, of the human life in 16th century Russia are the same experiences of the human life in 1970s uh, uh, Lithuania, which are the same experiences of human life in the 2020s, Texas, right? That, that there is small changes in sanitation. Yes. With small, (laughs) yes. Um, so, and that reality that when, if God is outside of history, when he is viewing human history, he is not seeing a progressive line moving up and to the right. Right. Um, seeing a slinky. He is seeing, well, yeah, no, I think that's pretty much it. Like he is seeing like a a coiled, (laughs) he is seeing like a history as one entity. I was going to say time was a flat Flat circle. circle. You You can't (laughs) reference that show on this podcast. I thought thought season one of True Detective was great. Um, (laughs) Never watched it. But um, just saw the meme. But just this idea that like there is that view of human history and that had had its heyday in the Christian faith. And, um, and I kind of see that playing out in this progression of the character of Adam in Paradise Lost. Um, what the takeaways are from that, I have no idea, but... Well, can I ask? Yeah, go for so, it. Don't talk to snakes. Don't talk to snakes. Mm-hmm. So the the other thing that I have bouncing in my head is that... So even in talking about like a sin of curiosity or a problem, you know, AJ's comments about there are bad ways to approach the object of curiosity... Mm-hmm. Adam before the fall does not have sin. Mm-hmm. So it's more like an innocence that he yeah. has before the fall... Is it is Milton portraying Adam as growing up through this event, or is that overstating it? I don't know. I it's hard not to read it that way. Okay, um, but but Adam's but, Adam's problem was not curiosity. Correct. I mean, yep. he he aimed a little higher. But if if anyone had this uh, a sinful curiosity, it was Eve. Mm. Her, her her beauty. Yeah. Well, she she wanted pool? to know what it was like to be angelic right she wanted to be beauty and so i, I don't think that this think there was unfair. the sin of and that's the thing is i don't think the sin of curiosity was their sin right adam's sin was uxoriousness mm-hmm. and which means being too doting on his wife and then eve's sin was was wanting to reach the final form too quickly yeah the, although adam's adam's sin in choosing eve over god so you would think that adam would be like oh the fruit i can know more right. and that's not how milton portrays it but it's that adam by knowing and loving Eve, Adam's sort of experience of the world is more expansive. Just by like when you are married to some, when you love somebody in our relationship and are sharing an experience with somebody, your knowledge of that experience is expansive. Mm-hmm. We've all had that feeling of you did something cool and you're like, oh man, I wish AJ was here to share, to experience this with me. Or maybe if you and I go to a movie and we talk about the movie, you'll say, oh, I really loved it when... Mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z happen. I'll be like, I didn't even notice that, right? Mm -hmm. So when you experience life with somebody, you have a more expansive understanding of that. And Adam worries about losing that that expansion of experience 
by losing Eve mm-hmm. and him still existing. He's worried about going back to that point where Mr. Dog had Mrs. Dog and Mr. Bird had Mr. Bird, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Bird, whoa, whoa. And, um, uh, uh, and he had nobody. Right. And so yeah, that, that luxuriousness, that sort of deference to Eve is that Adam is choosing to fall so that he can still have experience with Eve and it's the wrong choice. Yeah, so maybe that's the... I'm wondering then if there's, instead of a rejection of Adam 1 in favor of Adam 2, is it Adam 1 is still in Adam 2? Yeah. So there's still that desire for more knowledge. And I think that was the nuance AJ was pulling out. um, That, yes, there are things that he doesn't have to be anxious about knowing, but he can still have that childlike wonder in addition to a security that even if I don't learn those things even if I deny myself certain knowledge, what you're talking about of his relationship with Eve, he's still going to be okay. Mm -hmm. History's still going to turn out the right way. Well, and we can highlight that his curiosity when he was asking questions of the angels was not censured. It wasn't bad. And, and that, that didn't make him fall. Right. 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 So that would be a, an innocent, even good expression of curiosity. Yeah. One little last note to put on this is I can't remember who, I think it may have been Lewis talking about it in his introduction to Paradise Lost. But it's that when we think of Adam and Eve in the garden, we often think that they are perfect. But there's a, but that's not the case. You can be sinless without having been perfected. And in fact, Adam and Eve were supposed to perfect themselves sinlessly while working in the garden. And there's this sense that they can be, yeah, they can be without sin, but not final, not finished yet. And that trips up students a lot in thinking like that- half carved marble. Yeah. Um, uh, like being The David wrong, not yet done. Right. Being wrong on a math test isn't a sin. Like if you, got the, if you got the sum wrong, you haven't sinned. Just like if Adam gets something wrong in the garden, he doesn't realize the, the gravity of Satan's presence. That's not a sin. It's just not perfect. So that kind of nuance- I think also plays into this where, so maybe you were saying, is Adam more mature at the end of it? I don't know if he's more mature, but he's, he's definitely, even though sin has entered into him, he seems to be like more perfected after the fall, which is this sort of paradox of Felix Culpa or Felix Culpa, the paradox of that the fall was ended up being a fortunate fall, um, but that, that gets into, I don't know, that one's... It's failing upwards. I've, I know, read, exactly. I've read books by CEOs about that. Failing upwards. Got to fail upwards. It's Richard Rohr, isn't it? But that one gets into a little a little bit more of a bonkers thing. It's like, okay, was the fall a good thing? But anyway, um, so this is just, anyway, th- um, thoughts on um, man and curiosity from these sort of two portrayals of Adam and angels sure. from the book. That's it. That's great. Well, cool, cool. Thank you so much, Graham. And I did all of our you know, back matter at the front. I made it front matter. Front matter, yeah. So we're we're just about finished. Uh, We are happy to be back. I I know that I'm happy to be back in this chair with my bros talking about books and stuff. Same. And we are happy that you're listening. Cool. And if you want to listen more, well, tune back in next week. Yeah, exactly. Right? We we got more coming for you. All right. Thanks a ton, everybody. And this is See You Later from Classical Stuff. Bye. Bye. Bye.